Welcome to Lost in the Movies. This episode on the film Training Day from 2001 is part of an Ethan Hawke series I'm doing, looking at different films sprinkled throughout his career from some of the earliest to some of the latest. And this was supposed to go up last week, but between the election and other distractions, trying to follow a path that I'd set up to get some work done that I really ended up just having to change, uh, it got delayed a week. So here it is now. Next week, the usual scheduled episode will be up, and then I'll be back to the every other week schedule that I was doing up until now. On my site, I put up a post-election status update, uh, mostly just talking about the work, that uh, I, the, the progress of the work that I was doing, and uh, thoughts going forward. And on Patreon, for my $1 a month patrons, I put up a review of Back to the Future Part 2, a, a podcast review of that, talking about its relationship to Twin Peaks, which has developed in interesting ways the more Twin Peaks has come out. And I shared on that uh, archive readings from past work that I'd done, talking about Robert Zemeckis, particularly Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Forrest Gump. And for the Twin Peaks reflections on that podcast, I honed in on the characters of the singer, the Roadhouse singer, uh, Maddie, Laura, the locations of the Palmer House and the Roadhouse, the storyline of the Palmer family breakdown. I related that to season three, part two. Also on Patreon for $1 a month patrons, I opened up my up until then ex uh, exclusive to the top tier coverage of episode 14, which is the killer's reveal on the original series. So that's part of my Lost in Twin Peaks podcast going over the whole, ep the whole series episode by episode, and that's a big one. And by coincidence, a conversation I had with Twin Peaks Unwrapped, a great podcast that's been doing community rewatches, also came out this week on uh, that same episode. I guess it's not really coincidence because it was the 30th anniversary of that episode. It aired on November 10th, 1990. So there's so much to discuss on that. If you want to hear me discuss it over several hours, both on my own podcast and on theirs, both longer discussions than usual, check those out. I should note, too, before we begin the training day section, that last week was Ethan Hawke's 50th birthday. And remembering that, that he was born in 1970, and now it's 2020, so the math is obvious, uh, that was one of the things that led me to think, oh, I should publish these uh, these pieces, these podcast reviews first as I brought my podcast public, because I recorded these a year or two ago for the most part. And uh, at that time, it was just sort of a random thing I'd seen first reformed in some of his other films and thought, oh, you know, I'd, I'd like to go look at some of his other films as well and kind of discuss them in a group. But uh, this time, the, the birthday thing was a nice spur for that. So happy birthday, Ethan Hawke. And here's the review of Training Day. In the next 24 hours, you will learn about the streets, about the choices that will force a dedicated cop over the edge, all in the name of good. In the next 24 hours, the only thing more dangerous than the line being crossed. Today's a training day, Officer Hoyt. Good chance to give you a little taste of reality. You think you can handle it? Is the cop who has crossed it. I will do anything you want me to do. Will you? We'll see.
If I was a dealer, you'd be dead by now. <laughs> they build jails because of me. Judges have handed out over 15,000 man years of incarceration time based on my investigation. You got today and today only to show me who and what you're made of. You hear me? That's what I'm talking about. The first day on the job, you hit a $3 million seizure. Police officer! Get away from the girl! No, no, no. We're not racking up arrest today. You let him go. What more you want? I want justice, right? Is that I not mean, justice? That's street justice. What's wrong with street justice? Oh, what? Just let the animals wipe themselves out. God willing. You can't be like this. Open your eyes. Can't you see? Training Day came out in the fall of 2001. I remember this film very well when I saw it in theaters, and then later I bought the DVD, and I used to watch it all the time. This was a favorite of that period. I was a senior in high school when it came out, and uh, it was just a very compelling film for a lot of reasons. First of all, Denzel Washington's performance in it is just so flashy and so fun and so well done. You know, it's one of those performances that manages to be both. Uh, it gives him it gives him an opportunity to just have a lot of fun, but also is quite subtle, I think, as well. This is a flashy, flamboyant character, but also one who's always thinking, always calculating, and uh, kind of plotting beneath the surface. So it's just a real meaty role in that sense. He won the Oscar for it, of course. And uh, I remember at the time, just, you know, we would quote the movie all the time to classmates, to each other, and stuff like that, and just love this character. And uh, it's got a good a little soundtrack of the time too as well still dre as they pump up the wheels in the car we're covering it now of course because of ethan hawk he's now in his early 30s he's aged a little bit out of the young innocent guy that he plays even still in gattaca a little bit but here he's he's trying to be tough and survive on the street but also very naive and a little bit lost and weak so we'll talk about that but let's get into the story of this if you don't know already it's about jake a young cop who wants to be on the narcotic squad and it's his training day as the title says with alonzo who is a seasoned uh, detective who runs his own crew and does things his own way like he asks jake to meet him at a diner says you know we skipped the roll call right off the bat he's putting him on edge he's kind of mocking him and teasing him where he talks about a drug stop where they found some guns in the guy's trunk and alonzo just mocks him for not sleeping with the uh, training officer so you know that kind of sets the tone right away and just little by little things get worse he makes him smoke some uh, angel dust he uh, takes him on house visits, seizing drugs on the street and all of this stuff. And it starts to add up to this picture of a cop who is going from just being a little rebellious, not following the regulations to looking quite a bit corrupt. And then it gets even worse than that. And uh, I'm going to have to, I guess, discuss plot a little bit in this, but I won't do it quite yet. So uh, if you want to avoid spoilers, hang on. I'll give you a spoiler warning when we get to that. There's a few really enjoyable things about the film. Like I said, Washington's performance. But I think Ethan Hawke is also uh, quite strong, too, in what is very much like the less showy role, the straight man, so to speak, where he's coming in and he's supposed to be kind of the audience surrogate and uh, doesn't quite know how to handle Alonzo, who's this really charismatic, shady character who you initially may not quite know what to make of. The interesting thing about this character is I think it's not completely cut and dry of him being this kind of goody two-shoes who you know refuses to be drawn into the web of corruption or is maybe drawn in a little too much but realizes there's something more going on. It's a little more complicated than that. First of all, this is a character who's driven by ambition, 
more than any moral high ground, uh, the Jake character, the Ethan Hawke character. We see that from the beginning. He's talking about wanting to move up on the forest. Someday he's going to be a detective. He'll have a much nicer house than he has now with his wife and his young baby. And Alonzo plays on that constantly, demonstrating to him, like, look, buddy, we know why you're here. We know why people do this. You're ambitious. You want to move up do things my way and that's how things are done this is just the way things are and there's also a weakness to this character and i think the weakness is not that he's this moralistic goody two-shoes but that he seems very amenable to like the forces around him if somebody says this is how it's done he might resist a little and he might be uncomfortable but it he he i don't think he has that strong of a moral compass actually that's one of the interesting things about the film his resistance to what he sees around him seems to be less about uh, it, to the extent that he is a goody two-shoes, it's more, it seems to be more about like wanting to follow the rules for fear of like stepping out of line and getting in trouble rather than because of some great conscience. And there's one big exception to that in the film, and that's what saves him uh, in the end. And uh, we'll talk about that, I guess, with spoiler warnings. <laughs> you can check out here if you haven't seen the film. And what I'm talking about is as they're driving around and he's still kind of coming down from the drugs he looks out the window and he sees this girl being an attempted rape in an alleyway and he runs out of the car and it's like one of the most visceral reactions in the movie. Like he's always figuring out how he's supposed to react, what he's supposed to think. Like he's giving sideways looks to Alonzo like, what, what am I supposed to think of this? Is this right? Is this, is this just how things are? And I just have to, you know, it's very young Goodman Brown quality to it if you know that, that story, the Nathaniel Hawthorne story where the guy goes into the woods to talk to the devil and he finds out everyone else in town is in league with the devil and he's shocked. And yet also he went out there in the first place to meet the devil. So it's kind of a weird devil standard going on there. So there's that quality to this character. It's a very quintessential, I think quintessentially American trope in a lot of ways. This, on the other hand, this is a very visceral reaction. He just snaps out of his like, go back, go back, pulls, opens the car, runs out and ends up saving the girl in the alleyway. It's an authentic moment for the character. And that's the only thing that saves him in the end because Alonzo drops him off with these three guys, and uh, it's, that's a great scene, by the way. They're all just tormenting him. They're all mind-fucking. Everybody in this movie is, is, uh, is fucking with him, and uh, it's a really entertaining film to watch with, with that in mind. Uh, I think it captures that quality of kind of paranoia. Are these people just messing with me? They know more than more of what's going on, and, and I can't figure it out, and uh, you know, th they capture that quality really well, Ethan Hawke. And his performance captures that really well. And the film itself, this this kind of like sinking feeling, like there's a great moment where he's like, I got to go, Alonzo, Alonzo, let's go. And he goes, nah, man, like a, a Alonzo, Alonzo threw you under the bus or whatever. And he opens the curtains and the car is gone. It's like, ah, oh, fuck. Like, it's just that like stab of recognition of like, shit, like I shouldn't have trusted that person. They just played me. And so, uh, anyways, these guys, they grab him, they pull him into the bathtub, they're gonna, you know, shoot him in the head, it's just gonna, this is brutal, ugly end to this horrible day, and they find the wallet of the girl in his back pocket, of the teenage girl, and it's the guy's cousin. And, obviously, it's a huge coincidence, uh, but it works for me, it works really well, first of all, because of that motivation, the fact that this was, like, the one thing he did all day that wasn't like, eh, this isn't how we're supposed to do things, you know, this kind of, like, nerdy like by the book thing it was more of like oh no no we gotta do this is we gotta help this person right now it's certainly a more noble motive than some of the other motives that get shown throughout the film so that's what ends up saving him so i really like that dramatically it's an effective twist 
uh, where something Earl planted earlier in the movie pays off, very tense. And I love the dynamic between the guys where, you know, they pull him out and they're like, it's it's cool, you know, put a hand on his shoulder. Ah, uh, yeah, man, it was nothing personal, it's just business. Like, And that's another quality I'm going to get to in a second about this film that I love is the context it puts it in. It's, I think until maybe the ending, it's not trying to position as here's the sharply defined good guys and the sharply defined evil guys. It's a whole world, it's a whole system, and everybody in it is trying to play their part as best they can to survive and not be like a dumbass and just get murked, basically. So I don't know how much was in the script, but the director, uh, Antoine uh, Fuqua, I just watched a little behind-the-scenes featurette, and he talks about how that was one of the things that compelled him about telling the story. And you can really see that in the film itself, that it's less interested in judging these characters than in understanding them, figuring out why people are behaving the way they do, and, and looking at how this system operates. There's not like this sharp divide between the law and the street. This film is not about the law, and they have in this featurette, they have these little quotes pop up of dictionary definitions of stuff, and they talk about, I think, justice and the idea of following the law and sticking to the law, and it's this is not a movie about the law at all. I think it's very much about... Uh, a sense of justice, but it's not a sense of justice based on the law. In fact, one of the things I really like is that as the day goes along, you get a sense of how high up this shit goes. This isn't one corrupt cop going rogue. On the other hand, it's not one cop who has to do what needs to be done to suppress these monstrous cretins on the on the street or whatever. It's like a whole system that extends up and down all the way up to these DAs and judges. He goes and he meets with the three wise men, as he calls them, these three old white guys in a restaurant, malevolent and threatening in their own organized way. I really appreciate that aspect of it. And I think that may be something... I didn't get as strongly at the time. And by get it, I mean, obviously I saw it was there. I saw the movie was making a point about high up corruption, all of that. But it, I think it probably felt more rote to me on the at the time. And I don't know, life experience or just the political reality of the past 15 years. I think it resonates in a more visceral, immediate way of understanding how the system works and how the society works. This is not a problem of a few bad apples. That's also interesting to consider just in light of all of the Everything we've seen about police and, and race in the past five or ten years and police abuse. And of course, the racial dynamics of the film are interesting because the corrupt, powerful cop who's abusing all of these mostly black or Latino characters, using them to his advantage, manipulating them is the black cop and the sort of naive, good-hearted one is the white cop. And that could easily play into sort of a simplistic dynamic. But again, I think that's something where uh, Fuqua brings much more nuance to it and a kind of an understanding of where these characters are, are coming from and their position in relation to each other and, and why they're why they're acting that way. Alonzo is, I think it does turn out that he is, even before it gets to the ending, which is sort of problematic in a way, I do think it gets to the point where you realize like this isn't just somebody acting in the system. He is a particularly malevolent bad dude. But that's molded by the system that he's operating in. It has little relation to whether he's like a cop or a gangster or whatever. That's just sort of who he is, and he can find his role in either end of that spectrum where it suits him. So now for the ending. Uh, the ending never really worked for me. I felt this way at the time when I saw it in theaters. Like, I loved the movie, and then I was disappointed by the end because I just thought, oh, okay, yeah, you got to have the good guy win. They get into, like, a fist fight on a roof, just very conventional action sequence. And so much of the film is about playing with your mind and manipulating your, your thought process. And at this point, it just becomes fisticuffs. And then the whole neighborhood is like, nah, like, we're not going to be with you anymore, Alonzo. And it, it just seems a little cliched and a little unconvincing and I still feel that way now I think I 
I think I used to I used to want the movie to end with like Ethan Hawke being killed and Alonzo winning, and now I don't feel like that would really necessarily work so dramatically well. You need some kind of fulfillment of of uh, the Alonzo either not getting away getting away with it or 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 maybe just Jake surviving even if Alonzo does or something. You know, I don't think it I don't think it would work to just have the film end on like a sour cynical note. But that said, I kind of wish they'd done something a little different with it. I think it loses that understanding it has throughout, and it makes it more of this moralistic thing. Like, all these characters, like, we're not like you. We don't want to, we're not going to take the money. We're going to walk back to our houses shaking our heads at you. And he's just kind of ranting in the street and humiliated. And I don't know, it just doesn't quite click with me. And he's something more plausible. I like the fact throughout that, these characters may be embedded in violence and crime, but there's no doubt about why they do this. There's a total logic to it, and it's the same logic that brings Jake to want to be part of the narcotics squad. It's the same exact logic, just operating in different circumstances. And for him, the way he breaks out of it is that one moment, that one flash, where he's motivated to help somebody. And, uh, I yeah, so I think that's part of the problem with the end. It doesn't totally feel motivated in that sense but still love this movie and uh hadn't seen it in a while so it was fun to rewatch. and uh, it's interesting at the end they had an alternate ending with the three wise men showing up at his house and talking to him and he kind of says something to them and they drive away and uh, i guess i i've seen it a couple times i didn't watch it this time but i've seen it a couple times on the dvd and it doesn't quite doesn't quite uh it doesn't seem to do that much i guess i'd have to watch it again and see what it's even trying to do but I find it interesting at the end of the film, when he gets out of the car, you can clearly see somebody parked behind him opening the door, and they just cut to the next shot of him going inside and leaving out that ending, which they have as an alternate ending on the disc. I think they also followed up with this show as a TV show years later. Uh, I've seen some like posters and stuff for it. I'm not sure how long it was on for, but uh, I'll pull it up right now, I guess, as I'm, re- as I'm recording this and kind of see. Uh, it does seem like it could be an interesting concept for a a tv series and actually it came out just last year which is kind of interesting Uh, i'll read the little description from wikipedia as we close off this section training day is uh american crime thriller television series aired on cbs from february 2nd to may 20th 2017 serves as a follow-up to the 2001 film of the same name it stars bill paxton and justin cornwall oh wow paxton is known for being one of paxton's final performances prior to his death in february 2017 hmm that's interesting. So they would have had to probably cancel it anyways because the character is, uh, you know, played by an actor who died days after the show premiered. But it says it was a critical failure and one of CBS's lowest rated, canceled on May 17th, 2017 after one season. That's kind of too bad that Bill Paxton went out with that. Uh, and Paxton is the character. So I think they reverse the, the, the racial uh, dynamic on there, which, you know, has interesting implications of its own where the the rookie cop is a black cop and the experienced corrupt cop is a white cop. So I don't know, maybe I'll I'll see if that's ever available somewhere and check it out because I I would be interested to see what they do with that as a show. Uh, I know The Shield ran with a similar idea for its premiere episode, except that the rookie was actually an undercover fed, which somebody accuses Ethan Hawke of being in this film. And I even forgot to mention, one of the fun things about it is it has all of these uh, performing artists in cameos or small parts. Dr. Dre is really good as one of the uh, 
drug squad and Snoop Dogg is a wheelchair bound drug dealer. And Macy Gray is definitely the best of all of them. <laughs> she just has an amazing cameo as this woman who Alonzo and, and Jake break into the house, end up stealing some of her money and she's screaming at him uh, down the street in her very distinctive voice. So that was fun to see as well. If you want to support my work, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes in particular. That's how other people find this podcast. It just promotes in the algorithm or whatever. Also, if you really enjoy my work here and elsewhere and you want to support it even more, you can become a patron on patreon.com slash lost in the movies. I'm putting out hours of extra podcast material every month exclusive to patrons. And uh, you can check it all out via the link that I have in the show notes where I have a visual display, which I've just updated so that it's now higher image quality on your phone. And you can scroll through posters and stuff of the different movies I've or the different topics that I've covered and kind of click and jump right to those particular episodes. A fun way to explore the site. Next time, we're going to, I guess, use the election season and just this general year as an excuse to dive into some more political subjects. This is the return of my Left of the Movies uh, sub-podcast, which will eventually uh, branch off into its own stream. I put up an episode in August around the time of the two political conventions on the film Medium Cool from 1968. This time I'm going to be talking about four films, short discussions on class violence in films that came out at the end of 2019 and uh, I, I thought were all interesting in the way they dealt with this particular subject, kind of I guess you could say violence between the classes, between the social and economic classes. Those films are Parasite, Joker, The Irishman, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I think people will find that pretty interesting, and I want to hear a lot of what other people have to say about that. Please, if you're listening to this, send me some feedback via Twitter, uh, on my site, on comments on these platforms, uh, via email, Movie Man. Uh, 0283 at gmail and let me know what you think of any or all of these films because i'd i'd love to have uh, more of a discussion about them because it was just it was an interesting year for movies i I often don't uh see that many new films and you know when i do it's just whatever the ones people are talking about and just kind of like usually not as excited about them as as other people are i think i think a lot of times the best films of a year reveal themselves in retrospect they're kind of hidden but these were all very interesting films and coming right on the cusp of an era when uh, the coronavirus is really going to shut down movie going and movie production in a lot of ways they're interesting to consider in that light as well and maybe i'll talk about that a little in the intro since these were recorded only not even a year ago, 10 or 11 months ago, but so much has changed since then. I'll see you there, and here's a little taste of what's to come. All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they could do my job. I heard you paint houses. No, please, Yes, I do, sir. So.
That was the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. Jessica, Wedong, Dad, Illinois, Chicago. 과선배는 김지모, 그는 이사촌.